Welcome to the Asians Redefining Their Success podcast, where Asian professionals share their stories of breaking boundaries and switching into more creative and unconventional careers. I am your host, Yangshi Zhou. Hello, hello. Welcome to this super inspirational episode with Tony Liu. After 12 years as a doctor, Tony quit to travel the world, teaching and bringing people closer together through her writings and other forms of art. And she did this at the age of 30 and newly dubbed Shenyu, which is leftover woman translated into Chinese. She decided that it was finally time to stop living for others and start living for herself. She refused to settle down just because that's what a good Asian female is quote-unquote supposed to do. She also believes that we all deserve to live a life that is true to ourselves, no matter what others say, and she's doing exactly that through building her own unique career as a writer, artist, and coach. I actually met Tony through Subtle Asian Networking, which is a subset group of Subtle Asian Traits. If you are listening right now, chances are you're probably part of it. And was just really blown away by Tony's story of, you know, really going beyond the Asian norms and really stepping out of the myth that it is too late once you reach an X amount of age. And so she is not only a guest on this podcast, but also really a catalyst for this podcast and inspire me to share these stories with you. If you need some inspiration or motivation in your life, this is the episode. Hey, Tony, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Yungshi. It's such a pleasure and honor to have you here. And I was just reading about your blog earlier and I just... I just got so fired up from reading it because so much of it resonated. So I'm really excited for our listeners to hear your story. Can you give us a quick intro about yourself, the career you were in, and what you're up to now? Of course. Um, so I have spent my life being that model Asian child getting straight A's and going into medicine like my parents wanted me to. They were both doctors, so they were very, very forceful about it. Um, And they didn't allow me, quote unquote, allow me to take time off before med school and after college, even though I was really questioning whether medicine was right for me. I've always wanted to be an artist, more specifically cartoonist, like drawing the Japanese anime manga style. And it just, medicine just didn't excite me, even though I, I did okay in science and test taking and all of that. But I decided to go with it because, you know, I told myself that, oh, probably people who've lived longer have more wisdom and eventually maybe I'll learn to like it. But that never happened. I went through four years of medical school and then residency training usually takes anywhere between three to seven years, depends on depending on the specialty. Um, So the one I chose first was obstetrics and gynecology, which is care of women, um, delivering babies and doing surgeries which after two years, I was like, this really isn't right for me. Um, I thought about leaving medicine entirely, but there's a part of me that felt like, oh, I didn't want to waste everything that I had already put in and lots of other outside pressures. So I tried another residency program in primary care. It was called family medicine. I take care of 
you know, adults, children, every, everyone, and still deliver babies. But again, just still didn't speak to my soul. So I made up my mind to like leave all that behind really. And I uh, started traveling the world because that's been a huge dream of mine and trying to um, work online as a artist and a blogger now. Amazing. That is such an incredible story. And I love to dive deeper into when you first started thinking about your career change. So, you know, you were in medicine for so long and then you're trying out these different residency programs. How did you know that it wasn't the right fit for you? Oh, gosh, I feel like there were so many signs along the way, but you know, it just took me a long time to really stop because, you know, you have to be go, go, go in the medical culture, just studying for the next test, doing the next thing, passing the next criteria. And like, I think it really, my first, um, say, seedling of doubt was probably like in the end, in the middle of college, even because I knew I had already gotten into medical school. I went to this combined college and med school program. It was still eight years. It wasn't like accelerated or anything, but I just really felt kind of like my life was over. I was just like, well, it's time to be a boring adult now and, you know, put those creative, whimsical thoughts all behind. And it really made me feel dead inside. And I just didn't really question it because I thought, well, that's part of growing up and being mature. And then just along the way, I would say going through medical school and doing in third year, we do all these rotations, like you shadow other doctors in all the fields. And then after the end of each one, I was like, phew, like, thank God I never have to do that again. And so that I should have really picked up on as a sign that I really didn't like medicine or, but I still kind of couldn't get out of my own head. Even my advisor in med school asked me like, Tony, in your heart of hearts, do you really want to be a doctor? She, I still have that email that she sent me. But I think I still was like, no, of course, like what other path could there be? So I think just going through everything and then residency too, I think it really hit me in residency, which is when you, you're seeing patients, you are getting paid a small salary, but you're still kind of being supervised by more experienced physicians. And after just seeing some really terrible outcomes in the hospital, it really hit me that, my God, being a doctor is such a huge responsibility. Like people's lives are literally in my hands. And I just feel like I'm someone who's so hard on myself from my upbringing. I think Asian culture, Eastern culture just kind of indoctrinates that mindset. And and it's really toxic, um, but I just could never be forgiving of myself if I made any mistakes. And I felt if my mistake cost someone their health or their life, that would just be so devastating. Like I could never live with myself or with that guilt the rest of my life. So I really, it really made me question like, this is not what I signed up for. I mean, I, so many reasons that medicine was not what I thought it was because also I feel like being knowing it from the inside, it's really just certain things that you wouldn't have expected, like just the culture where they do expect this perfectionism from you. And there's that stigma of, you know, you're weak if you ask for help and like, and just their general expectations of you are crazy. I mean, they work us 80 to 100 hours a week. 
Um, we do 24 hour shifts without sleeping, just so dangerous to patient care. And, you know, it's, I, sorry, there's just so much that I could go into, but I, I would say that I really feel that pre-med students or people considering medicine should really spend a lot of time in on the job and really see what it's like before making their decision. Because I didn't really do that. I volunteered at a hospital, but I was mostly, you know, the assistant bringing patients water and tending to the desk rather than following a doctor around. That's really great advice. I actually also was pre-med for a little bit in college and I volunteered at a hospital, but again, it wasn't really shadowing, you know, it was just me basically sitting there and like helping clean equipment. Mm -hmm. And, but I still had the, <clears throat> the mindset that, you know, like I, in order to help people, I needed to become a doctor and really similar to what you said, like you thought that there was just this one path. So I'm curious for you, when did you start realizing that, you know, there might be other options available, even though this was your major and this is what you spent, you know, 12 years on? Right. Let's see. I don't remember if this was the first time it came into my head that there were other careers out there. But I think I, I remember it was really influential meeting someone who was 10 years older than I was. And she uh, was doing writing and art, and she had finished medicine as well. She finished residency in emergency medicine. She had to support herself a little bit during the transition by taking a couple of shifts here and there, but she really was able to, you know, really live out her creative dreams. And just knowing that someone could do that, that it wasn't too late to do that, because I felt like after finishing med school, after being in residency, it was way, I was far too down that rabbit hole to change. She really proved me wrong. And then I think just reading about a lot of blogs, especially travel blogs of people who travel the world full time, they found some way to make that lifestyle work for them. That was really inspiring. And just seeing how the internet's changing and we're so much more connected with social media and everything that it's completely possible to work online that it made me think like, why can't I also do that? I think it was a combination of all those um, experiences that made me feel this is great. I'm not alone, that it's very possible to break out from this. Mm, yeah, for me, mentors and online websites were super influential too. So did you have the, this thought that, you know, and this might be too late. It is too late to change. I actually also just saw a post from like subtle Asian Chase this morning about this guy who is 26 years old and, you know, he thinks that it's too late to change. And I think this is something that, you know, society expects us to, you know, have our lives together, quote unquote, and have a stable job, you know, get married and all this by a certain age in our early or mid late 20s. So I'm curious for you um, if that thought has like popped up in your mind and how are you able to overcome it? Oh, all the time. It, and it doesn't stop because my parents, my family members, even certain friends keep saying, you know, you, it's, it's really too late. You're 30 now. You're a leftover woman. It's, you know, you're a loser. You're, you're like, <laughs> you know, um, entrenched in this. And I think it was just, looking and reminding myself other people have really changed their lives drastically at all ages. 
I keep thinking of Colonel Sanders, the guy, the KFC guy. He was he retired. He was like 63 or 65 when he started up KFC. He just didn't have enough money. He was broke. He lived by anyone, any outsiders, you know, expectations or standards, like a terrible life. But he, he just wanted to change the world and he did it. And also J.K. Rowling, the author, she apparently went through a divorce and was a single mom. And she was in her 30s as well when she started writing and look at her now. (laughs) So I think it's never too late. I mean, we also don't know when we're going to die because we're living longer than ever before. So really 20s, 30s, 40s even, that's still less than half your life. And if you can spend the the next half of your life doing something that really lights you up and is really meaningful and contributes to the world, then that's worth it. Mm, I love that. And I remember you wrote this somewhere too, that, you know, even though you spent 12 years in medicine, when you quit and started really pursuing your passions, that was when you realized that you were really starting to live. That was when you were really living and being alive. Yes. Yeah. I, I definitely, as I had mentioned before, I felt like I died inside at age 20, like in the middle of college. And then I never thought I would feel myself again, you know, like feeling that creative part, like that true part of me coming back out. I was really surprised and grateful that it it was, it wasn't lost um, during all those years in medicine because I used to draw stories all the time and write fan fiction and other, other stories in high school. And in some ways I, I would, I think of those years very fondly as like one of the highlights of my life because I was able to be myself and not worry too much about like what society thinks or how I'm going to make a living. I know that that can sound immature and naive, but I really do feel like there's a place in the world for everyone's talents and money will follow if you're just doing something you're really passionate about. People can tell. I 100% agree with that. And with clients that I coach too, I recommend them to go back to their roots, you know, and do and think about what they used to enjoy as a child or what would they do if money wasn't something that hindered them. So earlier you mentioned that your parents and your friends weren't as supportive or they were being very judgmental. And I'm curious for you how that experience was like. And I know you also mentioned that there's this, there was this fear and pain of disappointing family. And I think that's something that's really ingrained in, you know, the, in the Asian culture. So yeah, how was that experience like and how were you able to handle it? Well, I will say it's still an ongoing process, to be honest. I, it's, I'm still kind of in that stage where I'm struggling, you know, financially because I haven't, I've been um, saving up for this and I've saved up like really potentially even five years worth of money. I mean, this is assuming that I live abroad where cost of living is a lot cheaper, but you know, that was kind of the time frame I gave myself. And now it's been almost a year and I made the mistake of seeing my family because 
I have a younger sister by 12 years and she was home for college and I had a wedding to attend in the area anyway. So I decided to go home to spend some time with her, but being around those really fearful, toxic, negative attitudes of my parents is still really affected me surprisingly. Um, so it's still, I would say a work in progress. I think just it depends on who you surround yourself with. So I think if I'm feeling down from hearing those kind of judgmental remarks from other people, I just go talk to somebody who is positive and who truly really supports me and, you know, wants me to be happy. And I think it's so hard too for people to believe in themselves because we don't see what other people see. And I think especially Asian culture, we're so hard on ourselves and we're lacking that self-confidence and self-worth. We don't see how amazing we are. So sometimes you just really need that one or two people in your life who can see that and remind you of that sometimes. Um, I think journaling and meditating a lot help as well. And I will say like therapy really helps too. That really, I didn't do therapy until like three years ago when I um, went into my family medicine residency. And yeah, they, they do a really good job of asking the right questions and really getting you to think. So I would say keep, keep fighting it. And I always uh, share this story that I heard about these two frogs who, you know, they were with a group of frogs and suddenly the two of them fell into a ditch and then they were trying really hard to jump back out. And everyone at the top was saying, oh my God, it's too deep. You'll never make it. Just stop trying to just stop wasting your energy. One of the frogs just gave up, you know, they listened to what other people said and just stayed down the ditch. The other one didn't give up, kept jumping, jumping. He made it out. And everyone was like shocked. They were like, what? Didn't you hear us uh, shouting at you? And it turned out that frog that made it was deaf. So he was like, oh, I saw you guys, you know, you know, being all animated up there. I thought you were cheering me on. So it truly just shows that the power of your thoughts and everything. So, you know, I would say after that story, I kind of tried to read between the lines of what my parents were saying. And when they say things like, it's too late for you or you know you're going to you're going to go bankrupt they really mean we're really worried about you we just want you to have a stable and happy life a secure life you know we don't want to see you suffer and it means that they love me so in whatever ways that you can try to rewrite the stories you hear the remarks you hear and yeah i would say that is, is helpful Wow. Yeah. I love that frog story. I haven't heard of it. And it, oh. that's really, really amazing. So for people who, you know, are thinking about changing into a more creative career or a career in the arts that's, or a career, a career that's less conventional, um, and they're fearful of judgments from their friends and especially their family, what would you say to them if you have to give them some advice? It's really hard for me to say, like, you know, just do it, don't care about what other people think, because that's impossible, right? Like, we are humans, we're social creatures, and we always want to feel like we're part of a community. But I would say, you know, like, just think of about it, like, your life versus their life. And you, we really each just have to, we owe it to ourselves to live for ourselves. If we're living for someone else, not only will we feel terrible, but 
usually will never be enough for the other people anyway. You know, they'll always find something else to, at least from my personal experience with my parents, when I was following their paths, they always found something else to criticize me about, like, be it just even how I looked, my weight, why am I not dressing more girly, like, or age appropriate, all these things. And it's like, and for me, I took that really badly because I was like, I'm doing so much for you and you don't see that. And it's just this terrible negative cycle, you know, but whereas nowadays I'm living for myself and when they say those comments, they don't affect me as deeply somehow because I have, I know that, you know, I am being true to myself and that gives me that kind of strength. As hard as it is, I would say really just do it. You can always go back and almost no decision is completely irreversible. I know I can always go back to medicine, even if it's not like clinical medicine, it could still be medically related because of my background. And I know that my experiences weren't wasted all those years, you know, gained a lot of valuable transferable life skills from those years in my life. And they will help me later on, I think, whether it be like talking to patients, connecting with people, and just feeling, I think one of the biggest things was just feeling really grateful after seeing so many other people's stories and feeling really fortunate to be in the situation that I'm in. Mm. Yeah, and I'm sure listeners will be really inspired by your story too. I think you mentioned a really great point on um, this feeling of feeling like you're not enough, especially when you're living for other people. And I think definitely, you know, I also have immigrant parents and while growing up, growing up, I try my best to, you know, be the good girl and to not cause them any more trouble or burden because I know how much they've sacrificed for me to have this better life in America and so I can have a better education. And I think, you know, growing up, there's this sense of, the sense of, duty slash burden that um you know we have to make up for somehow and we do it by doing what they want us to do and satisfying them but really at the end of the day I think of it as you know they sacrifice so much for us and therefore it would be a waste to not live the sort of life that we want to live I feel like that is the ultimate reward in a sense like for them to see that we are happy and thriving i agree i think so too i i think it would be really the ultimate waste of our talents after all that they've put in like we i think each of us was meant to change the world in a certain way using our talents and passions and you know it's just we have to just have the courage to explore that and figure out what way that is Mm, so beautiful. So for you, what was the turning point for you to actually take that step towards a career change? How did you, you know, gather the courage to do that? I think one of my turning points was realizing like how far I'd fallen into this pit of despair. Um, looking back, you know, I must have always struggled with like perfectionism and anxiety um, and just being really hard on myself. And 
actually in medical training, I think the statistic is at least one third, so more than 30% of um, people in medicine, including after all their training is done and they're just regular doctors, are depressed or they suffer from mental health issues. And this is so not talked about. It's, it's such a taboo and such a stigma. And there's been a huge movement or a, at least somewhat of a movement towards bringing recognition to this. One of the very influential people is uh, Pamela Weibel. She's a family medicine doctor and she's just started counting how many suicides there have been of people in medicine. There's been over 1,200 to this day since she started counting maybe 150 years ago. Those are only the reported ones. There's a ton more. Um, and it just points to this. There's some problem, whether it be the system. You know, our healthcare system is is quite terrible. I, I could go into that a whole other day. But with America not having universal health insurance and all these other issues. But also doctors are really don't have autonomy to make medical decisions, um, they're kind of ruled by money and what the insurance companies will reimburse, what the pharmaceutical companies want. And it's such a toxic environment that many people struggle with mental health, including myself. Like, I think, you know, putting anyone into a terrible work-life balance already is hard, working 80 to 100 hours a week. But especially if it's not something that they feel like is their true passion and callings and everything. And also me feeling like it was unacceptable to admit weakness and ask for help um, just led me down this really dark path where I really wasn't valuing my life anymore. I, I would say like, you know, I never thought about actually hurting myself or anything like that because I know I had lots of people who cared about me, but um, just not being very careful when, I was driving or walking and for the one time that I tried skydiving, I remember thinking, oh, I would never do that in the past because it's like, what if something happens? But then I was like, you know what? I have nothing left to lose on the bright side. If something happened to me while skydiving, at least I won't have to finish residency. At least I won't have to keep living this life. So um, Sounds like you're in a pretty like dark place or a place where, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was when I caught myself and I realized what is like every where where have I ended up? Like everyone deserves to enjoy the life and cherish the life that they have. And so I for me that was the big moment where I was like I really need to make a change. And so it was from there that I started planning how am I going to make this work? Like logistically i i did decide that i wanted to try to finish a residency program um just so that i'd have it as a backup plan you know in case all my other dreams didn't come to fruition and it's still there I'm, and i'm glad i went through with it if if only to prove to myself that i could do it because knowing how hard it was i didn't want to run away from my fears i, I decided to just face residency head on and i think going through that and and completing it and succeeding really gave me like a lot of self-confidence. And I f feel like if I can, if I did that, I, I can do anything. Yeah. We have this joke back in college. It's like, if you got through organic chemistry, you can really do anything. 
And so when you were changing careers, did you know exactly what you wanted to go into next? Or was there this um, period of exploration? And then how did you finally make that change? There was definitely a period of exploration. In fact, I would argue I'm still exploring. <laughs> I had so, because I had so many thoughts. Like I know I always wanted to do more art and writing, but I think the thought of working, you know, I think part of it also was questioning the nine to five schedule that life or society teaches us is the way to live because seeing other people live alternate lifestyles was really inspiring to me. You know, people who were making their own schedules, they were working smart, you know, and in working efficiently. Because let's face it, I feel like a lot of nine to five jobs, there are periods where you're just sitting there and browsing Facebook or doing something else and not actually working. And imagine if you could just shorten your work day and leave at three instead of five and have those extra two hours to do whatever you wanted. How wonderful would that be? And even other countries seem to have that philosophy. I think I heard in Sweden or Norway, every Friday they work, the workday ends at noon because they want you to enjoy your life with your family, your friends, your loved ones. Because I think life is, for me at least, life is about the relationships and spreading love in the world. It's not about just be, like being a workaholic and you know, all you know, but to each their own, whatever you want to do with your life, you know, more power to you, just go for it. But I, I would say, yeah, for me, I just knew I didn't want to do medicine, but I, there were all these other unknowns. And I felt that if I kept on trying to do medicine, it would have interfered with me fully exploring the other paths. Um, yeah. Cause I did a lot like freelance art, freelance writing, blogging. I thought about teaching English online. I did get a certificate to do that. Um, I did travel because I wanted to be a digital nomad. And I tried looking into like online jobs, online marketing, but those were, I found that those were less for me. I think I'd rather do meaningful work than just doing any work to fund a certain lifestyle. Yeah, I definitely think it's a journey of discovery and rediscovery and something that i mentioned to the guest from the past episode was that there's a study done that people in america actually change careers every five years and so i think it's totally you know normal and acceptable to not exactly know what you want to do with the rest of your life or just you know exploring for this period of time and then picking up a different interest in the future Cool. I didn't know that. They change careers every five years, like pretty drastically, drastic fields or? It didn't specify whether it was a complete different industry change, but it is pretty common for people to maybe change companies or change roles. So I think on a spectrum, right, you can change roles at one end and then totally change different careers on the other end of the spectrum. I'm pretty excited after knowing that fact um, because I also want to pursue more art and painting and horseback riding and I have all these ideas to pursue in the future. And that just gets you so excited about life, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. I think that reminds you of that quote someone said, it's uh, not what do you want to do? You should ask yourself, not 
what you want to do for the rest of your life. Just what do you want to do first? Really like that. You have a lot of time to try a lot of things, but you have to just decide on what order you're going to try them. Mm -hmm. I love that abundance mindset that it's not either or, but it's more about timing and priority. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And life is long. Life is both long and short at the same time. Yeah, depending on how you choose to spend it, you know, whether you stay at a job that you dislike and you're just looking for the weekends or if you choose to spend it doing, like you said, meaningful work. Mm-hmm. And you have so many cool projects in your portfolio too. I took a look and, you know, you have Sun Wukong, like the monkey king to help people learn Chinese. And you have these illustrations on mental health and these beautiful written posts. So for you, like, how are you able to pick up the skills to go from, you know, one industry, medicine and to another in the arts? Because I think oftentimes what stops people from, changing careers is that they're afraid that they don't have the skills or they they don't know what to do and how to pick it up Hmm. um it's a good question i for those projects i really just go based on like what i mean what i'm interested in what i'm passionate about and i think just thinking about like i think I had to do a lot of self-reflection, like just finding what do I tend to spend my free time on? What kind of articles that I randomly see on Facebook that appealed to me? A lot of them were about mental health and uh, minority rights as well. I'm a big advocate of women's rights because I can't believe we're still in this day and age, not, you know, like still questioning like, who has the right to decide what to do with women's bodies. Like how is abortion still a question for people? I know it's a difficult topic, but just, and women are, I think still only paid 88 cents to the dollar for the same work that men do. It's really been a very slow progression of to towards equality. And I've just doing a, I think you need to do a lot of self-reflection to find like what areas and what um, movements really drive you. Like there's so many problems in the world, which ones really light a fire under you, you know, and that you really feel compelled that you have to try to make a difference. I also really care about the environment. I think it's terrible. We're losing so many animal species and we're burning down so many beautiful places that I want to help contribute to that in some way. I think knowing how to contribute was hard because when I made those projects, I think I didn't really know how I would get the word out, but I figured, let me just start doing it. Like, because that shouldn't, that would be bad if I waited for the big green go light because that might not ever come. So I'm hoping that it's kind of like a learn as I go and pivot or adjust um, I think that's kind of a very entrepreneurial mindset too, when they say, try a lot of things, experiment, fail quickly. And I think that is really cool. It's reflected in what you do too. I love your one month projects and how you tried so many different things. And so I encourage everyone to just do that. And if you're stuck, just find other people who share similar values and you might connect because... I wanted to help change Asian culture, you know, to change that attitude of like, 
turning the A in Asian for acceptance rather than achievement. And it was so great meeting so many other people in the Facebook group with similar uh, goals and values. And it was really amazing. And I look forward to working with everyone. Yeah. And I love that you took that initiative. You know, you put yourself out there. You didn't really ask for permission, which I think oftentimes we wait for, you know, that big green light from someone else saying that, okay, you can do it. You went out there and you posted and it's amazing how people all came together. You know, I think in our minds, we had that desire to help contribute to the Asian community, but we didn't really know how or like how to express it. And thanks to your initiative, we all came together and, you know, you were one of the inspirations for this podcast. So (laughs) thank you for catalyzing it into existence. And I really loved what you said about failure. Um, Another thing that I learned from living in Silicon Valley and being in the startup world is that failure is seeing failure as feedback. So instead of seeing failure as the stop sign whenever you experience it, it's just an iteration of what you're currently going through now. It's just feedback for you so you can try again and again and make it better next time. Because as we talked about this career change and career exploration it's a journey that doesn't really end um Mm -hmm. so i love that how you didn't um let the unknown and the fear of failure stop you Um, so on this podcast i'll also i'll also ask listeners or my audience to send in questions that they have and a really common one is how did you finance your dream I think, you know, especially as Asians, finances is something that signifies stability and therefore we often use it as a reason or excuse to, you know, keep on getting, being stuck. So especially since you were in medical school, I'm curious how you were able to finance your dream and even, you know, have this five-year runway for anyone who may be curious about it. Of course, I am extremely lucky in that I don't have the typical debt that a lot of medical students have. Medical school usually costs people at least $250,000 in debt for the four years that they go through. Um, I was really lucky. I had a family, my parents, who were willing to help with that tuition. But in hindsight, I would have much rather taken that debt from the federal government and not have this this dynamic with them because I mean for better or worse like I understand why they they feel like they've invested so much in me and had certain expectations and they feel like they have a right to I, I mean I'm sorry to phrase it this way but to control me and you know force me to be whatever they wanted me to be because it was their money and this this is just how things came out the way that they they were. Um, but I do know of other doctors who have quit and they're paying back their debts slowly. Like we just um, like a monthly payment plan of maybe like putting away several hundred or a thousand towards their loans. And I think that there is a lot of online work that hasn't really been tapped into or it isn't really announced as much to 
people, things like teaching English. There's a company called VIP Kid where you can make 14 to I think $22 an hour just speaking in English to these little kids in China. I've not personally done that yet, but I've met other people who've done that. I think if I had that debt hanging over me, I would have started that right away. It was something that I had I had considered, but I, I think I, I've just been really lucky that my situation gave me uh, more, more flexibility with my time. But I think in preparing to take the five years, I uh, just really lived below my means. You know, I feel like I've never been someone who needs very much luxury. I, I think my biggest expenditure is food because I love you know, eating delicious food and <laughs> food I can't make myself. But as for everything else, I slept on a mattress on the floor. I didn't buy furniture or I bought really like secondhand. I had a ton of roommates. There was one year where I was living with six other people. You know, like this is probably not for everyone, but you know, just the little ways that you can save, like not paying for a gym membership, trying to use a bike instead of a car these little things all do add up. So as a result in residency, I was able to save about 50% of my income. Residency pays you very little. They pay you about 50,000 a year. Um, and uh, considering how much we work, some, that, that's like less than minimum wage if you <laughs> divide it by the number of hours we worked, but it's still something. And so I just really tried my best to get every bit that I could and put it into my savings. And that's, yeah, that's, and then I think people feel like depending on where you live, I think if you're flexible on where you live, certain countries like Thailand are so cheap, you could live for $200. Um, you can rent a hotel with your own gym and pool. And that's amazing versus the cost of an apartment in the U.S. is like $1,000 a month. So just really trying to be creative. And uh, I do have some blogs I could recommend too about like how to cut costs here and there. Um, yeah. <laughs> sure. I can definitely include the links to those in the show notes below. And to your point about saving, when I was changing careers, I also was a digital nomad and I was traveling and I found that by spending time abroad, I actually saved money versus, you know, staying in San Francisco in the apartment. So I think a lot of, I think it's a common myth that people have that you need so much money to travel and stuff like that. But really, once you look into it, it can be a money saving adventure. Definitely. I love to talk now more about after you made the transition. So, and this is a question that I ask all of my guests is how do you define success now versus back then? It's a great question. I am still struggling with how to define success because before back then it was about, you know, like having what society in like, in what do you call it? Oh, brainwashes you <laughs> into thinking that this is success. You know, having a high paying job, having a house, two kids, two cars, a white picket fence. 
that used that really used to be how I defined success for my family success and money were always interchangeable so they to them it would always be how much money is this person making oh like the grades of this person why aren't you more like this person all of that it's really hard to unlearn all that but nowadays I'm really trying my hardest to see success as for number one being true to myself you know just because there's only each of us is unique if we try to live someone else's life or be like someone else we are clearly doing ourselves a big disservice so i think staying true to my heart is a, one of the measures of success but another one for me is just lifelong learning i never want to stop trying new things and growing and i think that a lot of people just become complacent or they get comfortable in a certain routine and then they continue that on for years and years and then they die so and i knew i never wanted that to be me so the way i see success now is continually to challenge myself and move and experience all that i can and i think as long as i'm doing that then there really there really is no way that i can fail Mm, I really love that. I think you really got into the core of what it means to live and be alive. And it's really experiencing life and, you know, defining for yourself what is meaningful to you and what is not. And in that way, you can't really fail if you're just following your heart. Right. So now when you're thinking, thinking back on your career change, what would you say is the one thing that has helped you the most in navigating it? So for me, I think the one thing that helped me the most was just taking action. For me, that was changing my environment uh, by buying that one-way ticket and going to Spain and just starting to live the kind of life I wanted, even though I didn't ha have all the moving pieces figured out. I think that whoever said that you action people think you need to have motivation first before you can take action but really it's sometimes the opposite you take action first and then the process of doing it really sets you in motion and then the motivation actually follows and then it's just this wonderful feedback positive feedback loop so i think just wherever you are whatever you can do to take that one step towards your dreams one step closer towards the life that you want. I think that would be really helpful for anyone, no matter what their situation. Mm, I love that. And at what point did you feel confident that you made the right decision? Hmm, that's a really good question. I don't think that there's one specific point, or I actually can't remember if the first time that I felt that, my God, this was really the right decision. But I think just every time that I traveled and met someone new or I got to draw out in the sun, I really was just like, this would not have been possible at all in my old life. I'm so glad that I did something for myself for once in my life. But if I said that I didn't have any regrets at all. Maybe it, I, I might be lying. Like there, there's, I'm still kind of tentatively figuring out the financial piece of it. So there are still doubts sometimes, but I don't think there ever is regret that I shouldn't have done that. 
you know, I think looking back on, even if I come full circle back to what I was originally doing, it, I would have grown so much. And I think, I think as some other wise person said, people always regret more the decisions and the actions that they didn't make rather than the ones that they did. So I think if you're thinking about doing something, just do it. Yeah, I think it really speaks to, it reminds me of this quote that, you know, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And by experiencing this, it's, you know, all about the process, the journey, rather than the end result. And eventually, you know, it's all about the growth that you're experiencing. So here's another question from one of our listeners is, what sacrifices should we expect when making a career change as an Asian American? And I thought this went really well with you of, you know, saying that you had no regrets. I mean, I think the big one is with our families, um, how it would change our relationship dynamics. I will say it feels like my parents and I are, our relationship did change from this career change, but I'm hoping it will be for the better because I feel like for the first time in my life, I'm able to be honest with entirely who I am rather than people pleasing and continuing to make myself try to fit into this box that they wanted from me. And I I like to think ultimately that would make us closer, but I know that, that there's no guarantee with that. I actually didn't I barely talked to my parents for the six months that I spent abroad because I just felt like every time we talked, we'd get into an argument or someone would get upset. And I also just, with my distant relatives too, they had all their hopes riding on me too, to be a doctor and graduate. And they were quite judgmental as well. And so I just feel like there was almost no point to maintaining certain relationships. So I think But I I do believe that the people who truly care about you will come around and they will support you. And those who don't, then you're better off without them in your life. Other sacrifices, I would think, I would say time, you know, I lost, for me, I lost 12 years of my life, but I try to remind myself that really age is just a number. It really is because we're living longer and people are getting married later. They're figuring themselves out later and they're enjoying life more. And I think it truly does make them better people for it. So just try not to think of all your wasted years is what I would, I would say, but just think of them as growth and they, it, it will come full circle to pay off in the end. I also really like what you said about being fully honest and 100% yourself. That's also something that I'm currently working on. And this podcast is actually a part of me, you know, embracing all myself and my Asian American background. And really, like you said, if we're not or not ourselves, then we're just wearing a mask. And it's better that other people like us for who we truly are versus the mask that we're wearing because you know that's not really us exactly yeah and this is a question that I ask all of my guests is what is your favorite career book or resource I would say one of my favorite resources is 
of the four hour work week uh, by Tim Ferriss. He really talks about how um, wealth is about having an, both time and money or how both of them factor in. Because if you spend all of your time working and even if you have a lot of money, you don't actually have the time to enjoy it. So I think he really breaks down, he challenges a lot of traditional beliefs. And even though he doesn't provide very concrete career changing advice, I think that's just a book that everyone should read. It's really inspiring. And he also gives you some concrete tips for figuring out how to make to restructure your new life because he advocates for taking many retirements throughout your life rather than working yourself to the bone until age 65 and then living these so-called golden years. He advocates taking like a month or two off every half year or so to really reset and enjoy life. Um, and the other resource, I would say that it's, it's not career specific, but I really liked, it was called The Happiness Equation by Neil Parishka. And he just had, I think, 13 rules for happiness, but they were all really, really good. And I think some of them include like the taking action first and then you'll have motivation. And then one of them, another one is like, do it for you. Like never retire, like keep working towards a purpose because that'll be your purpose for living. I also really love the four hour work week. So you are, you spoke it like a true digital nomad because that's really <laughs> what inspired me to start working, to create a life where I'm working remote. And I actually haven't read the happiness equation. So thank you for recommending that resource. Really excited to check it out. And last question for you is what parting concrete advice do you have for those who are listening right now and they're contemplating whether they should go for that less traditional career? For me, what really helped um, is trying to picture your future, actually more specifically imagining your funeral. I would say like, what do you want to be known for? What do you want people to be saying about you? What if you died tomorrow? Will you have any regrets? Because really the best life that's lived is one where you don't have any regrets, where you try the things that you wanna try. And as we said earlier, we, we regret more the things we didn't, we didn't do rather than the things that we did. So I would say if you're considering it, try it. But if you're worried, and then plan for it. Like I'd, I had, you know, planning, put yourself in a good position, save up financially, have a backup plan to fall back on. And usually you won't need it, but it, it kind of can be there for peace of mind. And if that will help push you over the edge towards the life of your dreams, then do it. That's really, really great advice. And I've also found the funeral exercise to be super, super helpful. And lastly, where can we find you for your travels or advice? Oh, um, I, you can find me at my blog, ltnomad.com. Awesome. I'll include that in the show notes below. Tony, thank you again so much for coming on to the podcast. Seriously, eternal gratitude towards Tony. 
and I would be so so grateful if you could leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us so much and will help other Asian career changers find the show as well. And if you want to stay connected, you can catch me on LinkedIn at Yangshi Zhou as well as my website at onelandprojects.com. See you on the next episode.